0: Our first Bible reading this morning comes from Genesis 3, verses 16 to 24, and I'm reading today from the New International Version, NIV. Genesis chapter 3, 16 to 24. To the woman God said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand, and take also from the tree of life, and eat, and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden Eden, cherubim and a flaming sword, flashing back and forth to guard the way to the Tree of Life. Our second reading this morning comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 17 to 23. Romans chapter eight, seventeen to 23. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies.
1: Hi, it's great to be able to join you this morning online uh, to join the churches at Victor Harbour and at Mount Barker and at Orgate. And as we come to God's word here in Romans chapter 8 once again, let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you'll be with us as we come to this stellar part of your word that you'll help us to understand what it has to say to us in our age, for our stage, in our lives. Speak to our minds and hearts, we pray, and encourage us with confidence in you as we face a world that's full of struggles. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've never experienced a year like this. That's the way a TV commercial that's currently showing on our station starts. And then there's this this montage of some of the events that have hit Australia in 2020. uh, Bushfires and floods and the impact of coronavirus. And the song that's playing in the background is that iconic We Come From a Land Down Under by the band Men at Work. Now, it's not that the events of 2020 have been especially unique. I mean, we regularly have bushfires and floods. Uh, We've had the Spanish flu. It wasn't that long ago that SARS pandemic, it it threatened. And Australia is not unique. I mean, the whole world faces natural disasters and is in the grip of COVID-19 right now. Yet what seems to be new is a sense of our vulnerability, our frailty, our mortality. And of course, events like this, they raise philosophical and personal questions about God. I mean, if God is good and powerful, then surely he wouldn't allow us to go that, that, through that sort of pain. And for some who don't believe, this is the clincher for why they think the God of the Bible cannot be real. But, you know, even for believers, pain and suffering raise big questions that we have to wrestle with. I've got a friend I've known for 40 years. He lives in a interstate. And three years ago, his 15-year-old grandson Nathan died from a really rare form of heart cancer. It was a year of diagnosis, treatment, decline, and then death. And the heartache and pain that was associated with that was excruciating for the parents, for the siblings, and the grandparents too. And we all know that the issue is not just a logical one about the nature and the existence of God, It's personal. It's emotional. Over the last few weeks, we've been working our way through Romans chapter 8. And it is a wonderful chapter in the Bible. And today, what we've seen is the way in which God works in us by his Holy Spirit so we can confidently and securely deal with sin in our lives. Sin's just the way we want to live independently from God to, you know, function as mini-gods in our own lives. But now, right in the middle of the chapter, we're pivoting. And the focus for the second half is on how we face up to and we deal with the struggle, the struggle of suffering in this world. Now, last week, Mark Peterson highlighted the wonderful news about how God has adopted us as his children. We read it in Romans 8.15, don't we? The spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've got an intimacy with your heavenly Father. We're God's children, and he loves us. But you know, this seems to make the issue of suffering even more problematic. I'm a a father and a grandfather and you know I'm flawed in so many different ways but over the years what I have tried to do is to protect my kids and now my grandchildren from pain and suffering now if I do that for my kids and if we're God's special children then why would God let us suffer you know in fact the issue seems to be even more acute Look again at uh, Romans eight verse seventeen again. Now, if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ. Listen carefully. If indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. And it's not just here; it's all through the New Testament. Uh, We get the same message if you go to Mark chapter 8 or John 15 or Luke 9 or even somewhere like 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, uh, which says everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So for the next few weeks, what we're going to do is explore the second half of Romans 8 and wrestle with the topic of suffering from a Christian perspective. So... Let's get started. In verse 18 of Romans 8, we get this contrast between present sufferings and the future hope of glory. Verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, he's not saying suffering isn't bad or that it's not real. This is not an attempt to minimize heartache or pain. But what he is saying is that the future of those who trust Jesus is so unimaginably good that our present struggles pale by comparison. The same sort of idea comes up in verse 22. Uh, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. Now, it's a, it's a graphic image, isn't it, especially for parents and especially for mothers. Uh, I have three kids, so I've only ever witnessed three births, but from where I was standing, the pain of childbirth looked just excruciating. But let me say the transformation in Sioux after our kids was born was amazing. Uh, when Ben, our eldest, was born, he was almost 10 pounds, and it was a really long, hard labour but 15 minutes after he was born, Sue insisted that I wheel her down to a public phone in the foyer of the hospital to call her parents, her interstate. And she was just crackling with energy and excitement with a new baby boy in her arms. What Rome's is saying is our world is in labor pains, but when this present age gives birth to our future glory in the presence of God, It'll be like comparing chalk with cheese. You know, cheap cask red with Grange hermitage. Future, confident hope. It permeates this whole chapter and it puts suffering in perspective. You see, our world, it's short-sighted. And if this life is all there is, then I need to maximise my enjoyment of it now. And anything that cuts across my enjoyment, my pleasure, my fun, it needs to be excluded. But you know, Christians know that this world and this life, it has a use-by date, and that we need to be dominated by the promise of future glory with God. But of course, at this point, you might be, you might be thinking this. I mean, why not pain-free now and future glory later. I mean, we're the options generation. Why can't we have both? And so the argument of Romans 8, it takes, takes us a step further and we start to explore why there is pain and struggle now. And Romans 8, it does this by talking about this, this era in this world as being a time of groaning, And what we see is that if we go to verse 22, the whole creation is groaning. And verse 23, it talks about the fact that Christians are groaning. And then in verse 26, it tells us that the spirit is groaning with us. Now, today, what I'm going to do is to dig into how our world groans. And then next week, we'll come back and think about the way in which we groan and the spirit groans for us. Now, it's an interesting image, isn't it? The creation groans. Look again with me at verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Now, what Paul's doing is he's he's taking this wide-angle lens view of the problem of suffering. It isn't just something that affects some it's more like an infection that affects everything. Uh, We know that infections can get into our bloodstreams and they make their way all around our whole bodies. In the same way, he's saying that all creation, the whole universe is infected with pain and suffering. Now, some seem to experience a greater share of it, but at the end of the day, no one escapes it. And eventually we know we all die. And, of course, we we get it as we look around at our world. We hear about bushfires, about floods, tsunamis, COVID-19, infant mortality, and it really grieves us. But, you know, it it doesn't surprise us because we've never experienced anything else except a world that does groan. But I want to suggest to you that this is not how it's meant to be. Look with me at verse 20. For the creation was subjected to frustration or futility, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Now, this underlines a really important truth, but it's one you've got to work hard at to understand. See, what we're being told here is that it is God who has caused the world to be a place of frustration, of futility, of decay, and death. You see, the world isn't the way it was created by God. It's now a world that sits under the judgment of God. And what we need to do is to dive back to the opening chapters of the Bible to get what's being talked about here. In Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, we see the way in which God creates the world, and it's a good world. If you read through the opening chapter of the Bible, at each stage or day in creation, God says it's good. It's good. It's good. And then when people are created, he says it's very good. But when, when you get to chapter 3, Adam and Eve, they reject God's goodness. They turn their backs on God, and they decide to live independently from him. And rejecting God it brings about the judgment of God and that then permeates every aspect of life and creation for the rest of history. Listen to what it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, as God speaks to Adam and tells him of the consequence of his failure to honor God. Verse 17 following. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you'll eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you'll eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you'll eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken for dust, you are, and to dust, you will return. But that's not the end of the story. God hasn't finished. Back in Romans 8, verse 20, we saw that creation was subjected to futility, but it's in hope. And then in verse 21, this is what it says that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. You see, God is planning to liberate us and the whole of creation from this groaning, this suffering and this struggle. And in verse 19, we read that the creation is waiting eagerly for the children of God to be revealed. And again, we've looped back to that future hope. It's tied up with the promise of being raised to life after death, a promise that has been secured for us by the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, for just a few moments, what I'd like to do is to pull together some of the threads and to talk about the implications of what this means for us. Firstly, let me say the struggles and the suffering of our world they're a reminder that things are not the way they should be. And you know, we instinctively get this you know, when we face tragedy, uh, the, the death of a child or sickness or depression or any number of heartaches that we encounter. But, but it isn't random. We aren't just caught in the slipstream of a meaningless universe that sucks people into a vortex of difficult life circumstances. Yeah, the Bible tells us that the world was subjected to futility by the one who made it and suffering. It's a reminder that we all turn our backs on God. Now, let me be really clear. I'm not saying that individuals suffer in proportion to the degree to which they reject God, it doesn't work that way. But we do all live in a world that bears the scars of sin and we do all turn our back on God and it's actually a kindness of God to subject the world to futility for there to be pain and heartache because without the struggles we just continue in love with the world and exclude God from the picture and God loves us too much to let us wander off on our own uh, the pain and the struggles of our world, they're a stimulus uh, that provoke us to reach out to God. Here's the second thing we need to realise we can't achieve heaven on earth. Uh, Christians, I think, have the best framework for understanding and caring for our world. Back in the first few chapters of the Bible, we're told that God creates a wonderful world and then He entrusts the creation to people, to us, to care for it. At the end of Genesis chapter 1, God instructs humankind to subdue the earth. Now, it's not to take advantage of it or to manipulate it for selfish gain, but the idea is to steward and care for it on God's behalf as his sort of tenants. But what we can't do is ignore what the Bible says here in Romans 8 about the earth being subject to futility. And we get it. I mean, our bodies decline, weeds grow in our garden, uh, everything dies. It doesn't matter how ecologically aware and friendly we are. The reality is this world has a use-by date. That's what we see in Romans 8, verse 21, this being said. The creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. You see, God has a plan to restore and to renew the whole of creation. And it's tied up with his raising of his children to life from the dead. There's a day coming when the world will no longer be a place that's subject to futility. Now, ultimately, that's not going to happen by lowering our greenhouse gas emissions. Although, let me say, that is no doubt an extremely good thing to do. But the ultimate renewal of creation will only happen when the Lord Jesus returns to wind up the history of our world. So let me come to the the final thing that I want to focus on. You see, this is why suffering now is not the end of the story for us. Again, let me pick it up back in Romans 8, verse 19. The creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Hope, hope permeates and dominates this whole chapter. Suffering isn't the last word. This present age will give birth to our future glory. This world, it's short-sighted. We try and avoid suffering or pretend it isn't there. But God, he's not short-sighted. He's promised to raise all who trust in him to new life, and it's guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. I I mentioned at the start that I have a friend who lost his 15-year-old grandson, Nathan, to heart cancer three years ago. Nathan was someone who trusted in Jesus and he asked his grandfather, also a Christian, if he would preach on Romans chapter 8 at his funeral. Not not an easy task. And I want to read to you a section of what he said uh, at that funeral. The passage Nathan chose for us today is Romans 8 because he found it so helpful as he wrestled in his conscience preparing for his death and as he suffered in pain and prepared for glory. When Nathan saw this passage in particular, he knew how his confidence was founded on the love of God in Christ Jesus. And then he went on and said this, This is why we're not worried about Nathan's future, but can give thanks to God for his salvation. This is why today we can rejoice in our sorrow and praise God in Nathan's death. friends, the Bible is so transparently honest in helping us to face up to the trouble to the pain, and to the suffering of our world. But not without hope. Can I ask you, do you have a secure relationship with God that enables you to honestly face the reality of suffering, of heartache, uh, to feel the pain, And yet to still be able to say, along with the Apostle Paul, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we know that the reality of life in this world is one that is uh, fraught with pain and struggles, We see it around us. We experience it personally. And yet, Father, we thank you that this is not somehow news to you, that you still remain in control of this world, that your purposes to um, bring us to glory with yourself stand firm. And, Father, we pray that we'll put our trust in the Lord Jesus, the one who suffered for us and the one who rose from the dead so we might have life and be raised from the dead. Father, we pray that you'll help us to hold together uh, that picture and to trust in your sovereignty and goodness even in the midst of a world where we experience uh, that sort of pain and struggle. And Father, help us to walk together with one another as we do this and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.